There it is. Welcome, welcome, everybody. It is Wednesday. It's our last show of the week. We're so excited. We're going to talk about laying a good foundation for your relationships. So uh, if my screen wants to work, here we go. There it is. All right. Let's tune in. Let's have some fun. Here we go. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right. Welcome, everybody, to this beautiful Wednesday. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome and thanks for tuning in. And if you've been here for a while, you already know that we have we are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Three opportunities every week for you to ask questions. So if you have any questions about your relationships, or if there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show, slide into my DMs, let me know, leave a comment while we're recording live. Follow the show on all social media platforms at Practicing Poly A. Let me know what it is that you want us to talk about. And as always, I want to remind you, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on this show. None of us are perfect, and we are here to share our imperfect stories because the more stories we hear, the more others will see us in themselves, and the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com, sign up to share your imperfect story too. All right, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, let's get on to the best part of the show. Let's introduce our guest. To say that our guest today is inspired to be a therapist would be shall we say, putting it lightly. Her path through life placed her on a trajectory that would prove to her that therapy was more than just an inspiration. It was her calling. When our guest traveled in the wake of natural disasters that had just destroyed homes and lives, the people there needed someone to provide support, empathy, and mental health care as they dealt with that shock. At the time, our guest was just a lowly claims adjuster, but it lit a spark. Then, when she and her partner maintained a long-distance relationship until that partner became her husband, it was the work they did together using the Gottman method of evidence-based couples therapy that turned her spark into an unstoppable fire. Now our guest is helping people create relationships that are built to last with a rock-solid foundation that's capable of standing strong when life gets bumpy. Joining us today from the relationship place right here in sunny San Diego, welcome to the show, Dr. Dana McNeil. (laughs) Dr. Dana, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you for joining me. Can you come every morning and get me like jazzed up to go take on the day? That was fantastic. <laughs> you know what? Later on, I'm going to send you a recording of that. You can put it as your alarm every day and uh, get yourself riled up. Let's do it. Let's go. Thank you. That was a very <laughs> nice coping skill. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> Well, thank you. I mean, you have uh, quite the resume, quite the inspiration. Uh, I really just hit the 10,000 foot overview. So tell me a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit about how those uh, different experiences um, affected you and how they inspired you, why they inspired you to become a therapist and help others. 
Well, like you said, back in the day, I used to do a completely different job in the corporate world. And part of my job was to go out and to see clients who had been involved in natural disasters. As my job as a claims adjuster, I would go and look at their property damage, right? And try to write an estimate and and come to some kind of agreement so that they could get their property taken care of. And Mm -hmm. what I found was, is there's this universal truth about trauma that when somebody has gone through something traumatic, they want somebody to witness that for them. And I couldn't seem to get my job done until I witnessed it for them. So they wanted to take Mm. me into the basement and show me where they had hid and here's the closet. And I held the door tight and it's like, yeah, I, I, I see all of this. And so there's sort of this defining moment that I always get to kind of illustrate when I decided I wanted to be a claims adjuster. And there was this lovely man i've forgotten his name unfortunately but he his house was devastated it was just at knee height and everything in it was just debris and he and i dug through the debris for an hour because he had become employee of the year at burger king or wherever it was that he worked at and that was the most important moment of his world and it was more important than getting his house rebuilt it was more important than what was going on anything else this was this symbolism of what gave him purpose and meaning in life and so we spent some time digging through that and we found that for him and it was an experience that i was like oh i like this i want to be there for people who are experiencing Mm -hmm. pain i want to walk that journey with them i want to be that space where they can be who they are and have somebody who says okay you do you What, what does that look like how can i be of support so that's kind of in a nutshell what brought me through the process of leaving the corporate world and becoming a therapist. That what more do you need? Right. Um, I, my mom actually did something uh, sort of similar. Um, I remember as a kid, she would volunteer with the American red cross. And I feel like that was actually part of her job as well was to provide that uh, support, that empathy. And then she would go through the process of, getting them set up at a hotel and, you know, doing all these things to, to help them. Um, but you were actually inspired to go the mental health route. I, I, you, you mentioned that this gentleman who was looking for the employee of the month award of all things, an employee of the month award, not, not pictures of his kids, not pictures of his loved ones, not, you know, parents ashes or you know like it it was an employee of the month thing can you can you doesn't that strike you as odd like what's up with that well if i remember correctly he was single so i mean i don't know that he necessarily had kids pictures or other people's but what that represented was his hard work his Mm -hmm. his his recognition for a job well done for him putting his effort into something and for it to be validated and for someone else to mm-hmm. honor and acknowledge who he was and what his efforts. It's not easy to get up every day and go to work and do the best and put your best foot forward. And so that was symbolic of something that may have been arduous for him. I don't know what his journey had been like before. Maybe he had something that was difficult in life and this was his first real job. I don't know. Each of us has something that means something to us that doesn't necessarily represent to other people something that's obvious, but to this Mm -hmm. gentleman, it was important. And I was grateful to be part of that journey. He had to be vulnerable with me and, and allow me to possibly have thoughts about like, 
why are you not looking for family photos and ashes of friends? Like, you let me be part of that journey without being self-conscious. And sometimes we only do that when there's been something traumatic, but I liked creating a space and a opportunity for someone to feel not judged and just have support. You talk about the vulnerability, vulnerability that it takes uh, when somebody comes to you and is seeking, you know, that kind of help, especially like in that moment. Um, and it seems like you kind of just have that natural gift, I guess, that that, that people are, feel comfortable opening up uh, with you. Um, when it comes to vulnerability in in your practice, or maybe even let's carry it over to um, to setting foundations for relationships. What were some of the things that you learned through your own experience, you know, maintaining a long distance relationship before you were married that helped you set up these these foundational rules, uh, I guess, in the terms of vulnerability? What were some of the things that you learned about vulnerability since that's where, that's where we started in setting that stuff up? That you have to be willing to take a risk, right? That maybe you're not going to be completely understood, but somebody's got to start softening. Some Someone has to put out something that's a difficult conversation and be willing to tolerate you being in distress or tolerate you not receiving it well or tolerate you not liking it. Because if I'm going to ask for my needs, I have to be willing to let you not agree with my needs. Mm -hmm. I have to be willing to deal with you having different needs and different expectations and how are we going to negotiate those with love? How am I going to be curious versus furious and treat you like you're my best friend, even when our expectations aren't the same and sometimes our goals aren't the same? That is so important, especially uh, for us in our polyamorous relationships. Um, You know, difficult conversations have to happen all the time, especially like expectations, boundaries, these types of things. Uh, I mean, those are just two things that I that I can think of off the top of my head. And one of the things that, that you mentioned was when you ask for a need, allowing the other person space to say no. Uh, can you give me some examples of like what that might what that might look like? Some of the things that maybe you've seen in your practice? Well, I just also want to give you a little caveat around that sure. sometimes makes my clients furrow their brows at each other. So it's important to chat about anything my partner does for me is a gift. It's not required Ooh. by virtue of the fact that we're in a relationship together. If I ask my partner to take out the trash, they don't have to do that just because we live together because maybe that is not important to them, but they know it's important to me. So they're willing to do something that is important to me as a gift. It is not required that I do anything in a relationship. And that can sometimes furrow brows of like, what do you mean? Of course you have to. We both live here. We both have to do chores together. I understand that. But if it's not as important to that person, they are doing possibly something that's uncomfortable or not important to them or doesn't have as much value as it has to you. They're showing you, you're, they're doing a bid for attention. They're showing you that they love you by doing this thing that's important to you. That's an interesting take for sure. Um, Cause I mean, I'm thinking about it and, and my brows are getting furrowed. 
right? I'm I'm like, well, yeah, it's 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 a partnership. I, I I understand what you're what you're saying. Anything that my partner does for me is a gift. Um, and I guess I mean that, that that's how we just generally show love and care for one another, though, right? Like, isn't that just the basics of a relationship? Not everybody views relationships the same way. And so if we're not talking about our expectations, then we're not really having communication about where to move forward and how to set compromises with each other and what does love look like. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same idea in, you know, the poly world is what mm. does commitment look like to you? Right? Okay. We don't all have the same expectations. We all don't view the world the same way. We all have the same life experiences or the same family of origin. So saying that, well, this is just what you do if you love somebody, that is defining it based on how hmm. you view love and not necessarily right. how your partner views love. That makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it. And like, of course, duh, this is what love means, right? I'm, I'm like replaying this story in my head that I've probably seen in media or read in books or whatever, like all of these uh, ideas and, and, and visions, I guess, of what love is supposed to be. This is what, what my paradigm is. This is what I expect love to be, but somebody else may not have the same expectations. And so if we're going to get things started on the right foot, if we're going to address these solid foundational issues, I mean, how, how basic do we need to get when it comes to expectations, like especially in polyamorous relationships where we're not necessarily on the relationship escalator. Right. So that same idea is let's just start at the ground level. Let's all talk about what each of our individual dreams are about what commitment looks like, right? What behaviors does someone who's committed do? What words do you hear? What actions do they take? What gifts do they initiate to show me that there's a commitment? How do we start like at that very basic level of each of us defining what commitment looks like so there's not confusion and so that it doesn't hurt so much when I'm not showing up the way that you expect, I'm showing up the way that I perceive commitment looks like. Okay, you've, you've said this a couple of times now. What does commitment look like? So if somebody were to ask me that question, I, I mean, I got to think about how I would even answer that. What does commitment look like? How do I even start to answer that question? Well, one of the ways that you can start is, I practice something that's called the Gottman Method. And for relationships, there is an exercise that we can do with partners where it's called dreams within conflict. Some of the reasons that relationships are in conflict is not because we don't love each other. It's not because we don't want this to be a good relationship. It's because we have different views. We don't view the world the same way. So tell me, what does it look like? What is your dream within this conflict? How would I act? What do you wish for? What would it look like? How would we move forward? How do you view yourself as what are behaviors that represent committed connection? And what are things that you expect of me that look like committed connection back? Like just have a basic conversation about what are you looking for moving forward? 
are you looking for your partner to be a primary partner and we keep that as a hierarchical situation why is that important to you can i be curious versus furious about that because that might be in conflict with what you want right how are we going to navigate it when it feels uncomfortable for one of us to still show behaviors that represent commitment and understanding of what's important to your partners that's another thing that you've mentioned uh, more than once now, behaviors that display commitment. Can you give me some examples of what that might look like? Like what are what are some things maybe that you've talked with your patients about that you suggest that are like, these are the things that say I'm committed? Well, for every couple, that's different, right? And so mm -hmm. one of the things that happens a lot with every relationship is you would just do this if you loved me. You said it earlier, right? Well, that's mm -hmm, what you mm -hmm. do when you love somebody. Right. Well, my view of love doesn't look like your view of love. And so if you ask me, just if you love me, you do it. There's no answer for me other than, yes, I will do that. Of course, I want you to love me. Give me some specific behaviors or things that you would do so that I'm clear on what you're looking for. So if it's that whenever I'm with my metamor and you call me, I'm going to take the call. I'm going to step aside from whatever mm -hmm. we're doing together and I'm going to be present for you. That's a behavior that I might be looking for that feels like I have a commitment from you and our relationship that we have together, right? What if the answer is no? What if I don't want to do that because the when I'm with my metamore, that's our private time together. That's mm -hmm. our time to experience our relationship. If I do that for you, that is a gift. I am not required to do that. How are we going to negotiate that? Because I'm hearing from you that that is representational of what a commitment is. I don't know if I can do it. You have to be able to hear that I still love you. And it doesn't mean that I'm not committed to you if the answer is no. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes, that, makes sense. And you bring up just a fantastic example where two people can be pretty dead set opposite views so one person wants to have say a hierarchy hierarchy right and and if they call while their partner is with uh the metamor that that they expect that call to be answered but let's call it the hinge person doesn't want that so we have these two opposing views how do we start to resolve that conflict how do we find a way to meet in the middle one of the things that my clients often have to come to an understanding about is this thing that we call perpetual issues in the kind of work that I do with couples, which means it's possible that it's never going to get resolved. There are always one or two things in every relationship that are probably not going to get resolved. They're going to be with Wait, us in every relationship, like even monogamous ones every relationship there's going to be one or two things that never get resolved in the course of your relationship not because you don't love each other but you have very strong views you have a value system you have things that are representational to you that i cannot bend on this thing right and so how do we move forward the way that we move forward is we're probably going to have to have a set of temporary compromises for the rest of our relationship what does that mean that means we try something now we find some kind of common ground of some area that I'm willing to give and that you're willing to give and we resolve it 
temporarily knowing we're going to try it. Then we're going to come back maybe in a month, two months, and we're going to say, hey, what worked? This part worked. This was fantastic. How about this other part? No, that didn't work at all. Okay, throw the part out that doesn't work at all. What's the new temporary compromise? And we keep creating temporary compromises for the rest of our life because what we're trying to do is to stop having it be World War III every time we hit this point. Because what a lot of mm. couples do is they don't work on it. They just shove it underneath the rug until it comes up again because it's so traumatic or it's just this huge crisis every time it comes up. So let's diffuse it. Let's do some temporary compromises, accepting that it's probably never going to go away completely, but it doesn't have to create such discord in our relationship. Ideally, that sounds great. Theoretically, that sounds great. That sounds also really, really hard to put into practice. I mean, it, it feels like um, as I'm thinking about it, trying to visualize that for myself, it's like, okay, well, we'll try this for a month, but then like by week two, we get into this other blowout and you know, we're not figuring it out. Dude, I almost had you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we almost what had it. Nope. Do you see, Sweet Pea? Because what, let's just take it, let's take it out of the love stuff. Let's just say you and I view money differently. And okay. I'm a tightwad and I don't want to, I want to wash out our lunch bags and like reuse sandwich bags. Cause that'll be less thrifty. And you're like, yep, yep. I want to buy a whole new lunch box every day. I don't, what do you mean money? Money <laughs> comes and goes, right? Okay. Right. How are we going to resolve that? Is that going to change? Am I going to stop my view that we should be thrifty based on my family of origin, life experiences? Maybe I had a bankruptcy. Maybe I saw my grandparents go through something right? And you've never had that experience. You don't have any background for that. You can be empathetic, but you've never experienced that. It doesn't mean something at your core like it does to me. Mm -hmm. How are we going to resolve this? Those are not going to go away. Those are the ways that we view the world. So if you're saying that we don't find a way to come up with some kind of temporary compromise that features both of us having some of our needs met and some of us not having our needs met and keep negotiating, then my other option is to what? Not deal with it or fight about it all the time. That makes too much sense to ignore. It's it's basically, if, if we decide that we don't want to work on it, we are quitting on the relationship. Does that sound like, does it sound like I got it right? I don't think we're quitting on the relationship, but what we're saying is, this discomfort that we feel every time it comes up, we just have to lump it. We just like it or lump it versus, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable, but the reason we're in relationships is because we want to let the other person have influence on us, that we're willing to tolerate something that is not in our value system, but I negotiate with you like somebody that loves you. So I'm going to try to learn what it's like to walk a mile in your shoes. And so when I make recommendations about how we negotiate i'm taking your needs into consideration i love it i love it okay so we have talked about um expectations and discussing what commitment or what love might look like for us in our relationships um what are some other foundational things what are some other things we need to address to set solid foundations for our relationships I think a lot of um, our clients 
come to therapy to kind of understand and conceptualize for themselves the difference between boundaries, rules, and agreements. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes when clients are calling wanting to come to therapy and they don't know much about this world, that they're saying, hey, we're coming in because we want to set up some boundaries with each other. And I think that there's a misunderstanding about what boundaries are, what are rules and what are agreements and how do those impact if we're a primary couple coming to therapy because we want to enter the world of, of being polyamorous and we don't understand that those are not all the same things, they're not interchangeable concepts, right. that there's some confusion, especially when they bring other partners in. Now, we definitely see, uh, I, I've seen it way too often in Facebook groups. Somebody says something about, oh, I had this boundary with my partner. And then, you know, they just get destroyed in, in the comments. Gotta love, uh, gotta love the community sometimes when they do that. Um, but <laughs> for, for clarity's sake, and because we just can't hear it enough, uh, how would you define uh those three uh maybe maybe give us an example of how those three would be would be used uh and let's see if i can challenge you and trick you <laughs> sure have me on the show to challenge and trick me love you too that's the point okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're just so, here to have some fun it's okay the way that we would talk about it sort of in the therapeutic environment so that might not be the reality of what's happened on social media but the therapeutic environment is very often I will have a primary couple that comes in and they want to enter this world and they want to do it well, right? I mean, they're coming mm -hmm. in with the best of intentions that they want to set yeah. this up as something that's successful. So most people are good. They, there, there needs to be an understanding that rules is typically done from a fear-based place because we want to feel like we have some control over what's happening to us, but there's not always an understanding that, the partners that you're bringing in may not want to have rules imposed upon them because that mm -hmm. feels punitive. And there's usually when there's a rule, when something's broken, then that means that there's going to be some negative consequence to me and we never want negative consequences. So first of all, we have to help our clients understand that agreements is probably more of what your aim should be because then that's including everybody that's involved in your world and that everyone has a say, everyone has some kind of consideration that needs to be made because you're asking everyone to participate in this agreement. Again, this is a gift that they're mm -hmm. participating in this agreement. Versus I love that. A healthy boundary, which is my personal boundary, right? And so this can sometimes get confusing for clients. And so one of the ways that maybe we can articulate it is maybe one of my boundaries is, is that while you're off in your new relationship energy and I'm having compersion for you about that and I'm excited and I love that for you, my personal boundary is, is if you start slacking off on the chores around the house or you're not showing up to get the kids from school and I feel like your relationship is impinging on what happens in my day today, I'm gonna have to set down a healthy boundary that like, you can't slack off on your chores just because everything feels great in this other world that you're experiencing mm -hmm. right now. Does that make sense? It does. And that's why I was going to challenge you because that sounds a little bit like a rule to me. It sounds like I'm I'm putting a rule on what somebody else can do on their relationships as opposed to 
a boundary on me. And this is where it gets a little bit confusing. And so I want to like kind of try and clarify that if we can. So if we have children together, we have at one point made an agreement with each other between the two of us that we're going to be good parents, or I hope that those are part mm -hmm. of the conversations that are happening. And so presumably, when you're saying to me by your behaviors, hey, this other thing that came after in time is more important and is taking more of my energy, what you're doing is basically saying, well, there's nobody else that's going to take care of this kid or these house chores, so that's just going to fall on you and you have to be okay with it. Got I it. don't have to be okay with it. We had, a, we had an agreement at some point, and my healthy boundary is I'm not going to do more of the child raising or more of the household chores because you've decided that you want to do something with another person in your world. And so I'm going to give you pushback on that because I do love you. I care about you. I think this is fantastic that you're doing this thing and that you found this love. And you're gonna, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to make it work for everybody involved because my healthy boundary is I'm not going to suddenly do all of the chores or doing all the pickups after school. I love that you used the word and there. And I, I, I heard your uh, emphasis on the word because I know if there's a but, <laughs> it, it, it's like you're counting one for the other. But you said and. So we can have it all. We have to work together to to have all of those things. Um, but, you know, especially in NRE situations, not always easy. Um, dang, I, want, I really want to address that, but we're running out of time. Really, really quickly, if you can. Um, yeah. In that specific situation or, or in any situation where where our boundaries are being crossed by our partner, but we're not, we don't want to give up the relationship. We want to have that conversation. How do we, uh, what are, what are your, your tips for getting that conversation started and being understanding with our partners in those situations? I can simultaneously have empathy for my partner and ask for my positive needs. Right. So it might sound something like, I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling hurt, I'm feeling misunderstood, whatever the, the feeling is. And I wanna talk about the behavior that I'm seeing. When I see that you are unable to pick up our kid from school and I'm getting a call from school that I need to go pick them up at the bus stop when it's your day, right? So I didn't attack the person. I didn't say, you're a bad person, you're of bad character. I said, I have a feeling, it's based on this behavior, right? Okay, what am I asking you to consider doing? What is the gift that I'm requesting of you? It would mean a lot to me if it's your day to pick up the kid from school and you can't make it or something's coming up. Could you please give me a call and see if I'm able to do it? That would make me feel like you respected my time and that you understand that I also have things going on in my world that are important to me. Is that something you'd be willing to do? So we're addressing the behavior and how it makes me feel. Right, because then you're going to be less defensive about it. I didn't say, don't you even care about your kids? Just leave them at the bus stop. That doesn't ever go well. We get defensive, mm -hmm. right? I'm talking about a behavior that I saw and how it's impacting me. And I know that you love me. And this is why it would be important to me if you could help me come up with some kind of compromise and give me that gift. 
fantastic. Dr. Dana, it has been so much fun getting to chat with you and to learn from you. Uh, if somebody wants to work with you, how can people get in touch with you? And uh, what will they see when they go to whatever website or Instagram or whatever it is that you're going to tell us to find you? If you want to work with my group practice, um, our website for my group practice is www.sd, short for San Diego, relationshipplace.com. I have two locations in San Diego and Encinitas. I have 10 clinicians. We're all trained to work with poly clients and the Gottman method um, as well. I also have a personal website. So if you're out of San Diego and you want to come have an intensive or come travel for a weekend and hang out with me, you can also go to my personal website, which is www.danamcneil.com. All righty. And also don't forget to follow Dr. Dana on Instagram at Dr. Dana McNeil. Dr. Dana, one more time. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. feel like I learned a lot. Thanks again. Uh, it was lovely to be here. Thank you for your enthusiastic spirit. It was delightful. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial inter interruptions, but the same can't be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial inter interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific time on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch, or sign up for Patreon where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. Thank you all again thank you dana for hanging out and until next week have a nice day thank you for tuning in to the practicing polyamory podcast would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation please support us by subscribing liking and following us on social media at practicing polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicing